Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Billy Embody, Shay Dixon, right here with me. Shay, uh, we don't normally have to do this after an Auburn game in Tiger Stadium. And uh, for the first time since 1999, uh, we're talking about a loss by no LSU to Auburn. In 1999. What? Nope. There were no podcasts in 1999. Well, I mean, people went on the radio and did it live, but this is kind of this is kind of the podcast version of, of that's the podcast version of what you would have done in 1999, right? I but, mean, but and on video, this is the whole package right here. Yeah. So what is that? 99, 2000, 22 years. That's a long time. Yeah, long time. Are, are you said not one entire stadium? Are you are are you stalling right now? You you don't want to talk about this this uh, LSU offer game? Yeah, no, I've got all kind of scoop. I've got – we're going to take you behind the scenes on why the press conference just ended early, 20 minutes early. We've got all the scoop here. Yeah. We can so let's, right let's, that. let's dive into uh, Saturday night, which turned into a Sunday morning press conference, but that's not the press conference Shay's talking about. But LSU jumps out to a 13-0 lead, ends up dropping this, this game to Auburn in really just kind of a dud fashion. I mean, if you're the Auburn side of things, it's a comeback win from for Bo Nix, who was benched the week prior. But if you're LSU, your offense sputtered. You looked um, disorganized. You looked one-dimensional. Defensively, they allowed Bo Nix to look like Johnny Manziel at times out there. And you lose 24-19. This is one that when the UCLA loss happened, what had to happen for Ed Ogeron and LSU was to rebound at least going into the Florida game you know, with five straight wins, I would think. Now you're once again hitting the reset button, but I don't even know if there's a reset button for this team right now, the way things are trending. Yeah, and I guess to sum up how people probably, this is like the tone I've gotten from listening to fans on the message board and the radio and talking to people uh, that they are, they looked at the Auburn game as, a microcosm of sort of how things have gone wrong in, in certain ways of you get out to a lead, you blow the lead, you're at home, uh, you snap a record that you haven't uh, lost in, you know, at home since Auburn since 99. Uh, I think they had a record like 29 games in a row LSU had or something like that, where uh, if they were leading at halftime, they won the game. That wasn't the case after Saturday's game. So a lot went wrong for them. But I think that people now look at it after five games, Billy is, you've got two green coordinators and you were sort of wondering as first time play callers, how they would look. I think with, from how I viewed it, at least a lot more people are upset with the offense than with the defense. And defensively it was from a year ago, fix all these bust issues, these coverage issues, all of these different things. We haven't seen those things become glaring issues for them this year. People have now moved on to, okay, that seems fixed. They have better communication, but you know, your defense is now kind of vanilla or you're not blitzing enough or it's not exotic. But I think for Durante Jones, you're having to ask him to do one thing at a time. And 
look, he can't make tackles. I mean, he, they had guys there to make plays on Bo Nix. Give credit to Bo Nix, played a great game. But B.J. Ojolari, all these guys will tell you, I was right there to make a play, and he just slipped out of my fingers. Or, uh, you know, he just juked me or whatever happened. So that's tough uh, to put on the D.C. I think for the O.C. with Jake Peets, it's been sort of confusion, A, and, and not so much even – people diving into scheme talk or X's and O's. It's why can't you get the play calls in, in time? Why are you not running tempo uh, in games where even Orgeron says after these games, I don't under, we should have been running tempo. They call it warp. Uh, they like to see him move fast, keep the defense on their heels. And it got to a point where even Max said after the game, Billy, I'm getting the play in, setting it, looking back, getting a new play, checking my protection. By the time I look up, there's three or four, two seconds left, and they're calling a timeout from the sidelines to, to save it. So I think everybody sort of along the chain of command is like, hey, how do we either, as Orgeron said, get rid of the check with me offense or do it right and, and perfect it. And those are obviously your two options. We'll see what they go forward with doing. But I think you then look at the offense as being the the reason that you got to the red zone, hand, what, four times? And the one time you did score a TD, you had first and goal and snapped it backwards for 20 yards, and it was second and 31, and then Max hits Kayshawn for a touchdown in the end zone. That's not going to happen every time, and it certainly didn't because the next three times they went to the red zone, they stall out, getting inside the 10, in fact, uh, a couple of times, at least once inside the five. Uh, but Cade York having to come in to kick all the field goals, which, Billy, when you lose a game 24-19 and you kicked three field goals from inside the 20, uh, you could point to that as a reason why. Uh, your red zone efficiency needs to shift more to to six points than three points. And it didn't. They still have no run game going. They're having basically to rely solely on the pass. And I know I'm kind of rambling to sum it all up here, but we're still in a spot, Billy, where by the middle of the third quarter, it was clear that they were totally okay with just abandoning the run game. Like they weren't even trying. And the issue with that becomes, yeah, okay, you understand you don't run the ball well. But as O said, Auburn had just adjusted at halftime. And then in the second half, we're dropping nine guys at times rushing two, let alone three. And I was like, look, we need to either learn how to run the ball or learn that we're going like, I forget the exact quote, but he said, sometimes we were going to have to pass the ball, but sometimes we've got to learn to run it. And that was a situation where you have to learn to run it. They gave Corey Kiner like four touches. He got some positive momentum for him. We don't see him again. No touches for Butte. So I think people are waking up right now and, and moving forward into this week. A little bummed, obviously, about the program and being eight and seven after the 2019 season, but being a bit confused as to why they look to have the same issues that they did in week one, and most notably on offense. Yeah, it, it, the offense is probably what we could spend the most amount of time on this podcast talking about, like you said, because defensively, guys were, like you said, in position to, to make plays, make tackles. And whether it was overrunning uh, Bo Nix, I mean, I, I was watching a couple plays that it was just obvious of what was going to happen. Bo Nix was going to step up and the defensive lineman was going to roll right by him because they were just coming with such speed and just almost playing so aggressive that they had no, they did not know the word stop or chop your feet and make the play or move laterally. There was none of that. It was just get up the field, get up the field. And they looked and then Bo Nix would just slide right up, make a play. And go from there offensively for Auburn. And, you know, LSU offensively is is one-dimensional at this point, which is a, a huge issue. You know, the run game is non-existent. And they're not even 
finding ways to get the running backs involved in the passing game too much, which is, you know, you could try to find a way to, be, to make it an extension of the run game, screen passes. And if you're going to pass this much, use the screen game a little bit more. Try to get those defensive linemen just thinking that, okay, they're going to this quick passing game, the slants and things like that. But, okay, we need to also worry about the screen, whether that's to running backs or Kayshawn Butte. And the thing that you brought up, which is Kayshawn Butte didn't really touch the ball, I don't think at all in the second half, um, especially once that catch got overturned, is they didn't man- manufacture ways to get him the ball at all. Get him in space. Get him on a bubble screen. Get him on a tunnel screen. Get him on a fly sweep. Anything to get, I mean, who is most likely, I would say, the number one receiver in the country the best receiver in college football, get him the ball, find different ways. I mean, you've got to find those avenues when things aren't going well. Jack Besh, another strong game, catching the ball, game high, seven receptions for him. But Max Johnson is uh, being dealt a hand right now that I'm not sure many quarterbacks can deal with uh, and be productive. And and for him to be as productive as he is right now is, is telling. And he has the one interception, his final pass of the game is picked off by Auburn. Uh, to, to seal it for them but you know they're they're just not able to do just much of anything right I mean he's having to get flushed out of the pocket look for guys downfield um, to try to make a play if they're not hitting a slant uh, over the middle uh, in that short passing game so you know for Jake Peets right now I mean your seat's just as hot as Ed Ogeron's I think and and you know with his play calling right now and just the basics like you kind of alluded at Shay getting plays in on time or if they're going to go warp get it go run the play or if they're going to check with me get it in on time so that Max can look things over adjust protections as necessary and snap the football I mean this is you know Jake Peeps was one of those guys that coming up and coming into this role and even before he took this role he was held on to by Matt Rule in Carolina because he had such a bright future in, in coaching, which who knows, he could still end up having that bright future. But right now he's showing that he has got to uh, find a way to put the play, get the plays in quicker, um, whether that's scripting the first 15 of the game or 15, first 15 of the second half and sitting down at halftime and doing that. Maybe that's what he does. I'm not sure, but they've got to find ways to move quicker if that's what they really want to do. If they want to check with me, they've got to get the plays in on time. This offense right now is just sinking, and it's um, – judging by the way Kentucky played against Florida, you've got uh, Florida after that, <laughs> Ole Miss. It is only going to get worse from here, and and that's the scary thing. And here's one thing, too, and, and I think that you mentioned Max being put in a tough spot, and I think it put Jake Peets in a tough spot, is that the offensive line doesn't protect that well. They don't run block that well. They're really weak right now in the interior, which I think with Ed Ingram and Jason Hines, two guys that had started a lot of football, certainly Ingram, that people are surprised by it. But I think it's also we're further far enough into the season right now, five games, and we've seen enough from a number of these guys. And I won't single anyone out individually, and I don't even have to at the left tackle position because it's been a revolving door. And we, I think we've seen probably like four or five guys play there, including – Cam Wire, they started the season with and got back from injury and they're still rotating. So it's evident that because of being marred by poor play and in stretches that they don't feel good about really any of their options there. They would just be sticking with someone. They're not doing that. And beyond that, you don't have anyone you point to right now on the O-line and just say like, that guy's like playing 
no doubt great. It's just that these other pieces are struggling. You don't really see anything as a unit to make you feel great about moving forward. That like the lights gonna flip and uh, the switch will flip. The lights come on and they're pushing people around. Uh, and I think that becomes worrisome and and certainly puts all of them in a tough spot. And you mentioned Max, and I think that's kind of where it starts when you have to look at he's going to have the ball in his hands every play. And it just makes me feel like what we're seeing right now is probably Jake Peets clearly feels that that's the best strategy, which is almost saying, look, we probably have some, we do have some talent in the running back room, but they don't have anywhere to go. And maybe that does mean more screens or whatever. I have seen the running backs at times getting out into the flats or uh, them trying to set different things up and, and maybe they don't throw it to them or whatever happens. But uh, I think that you could probably pick apart a lot of things of where you would go wrong, whether it's, play calling, coaching, the quarterback, the receivers, all of these different things of what could go wrong with your offense. But I think it's it starts in the trenches, which is what coaches always say. You win in the trenches, it starts in the trenches. And for LSU on that side of the ball in the trenches, I just don't see anything that leads me to believe that the result won't be the same thing that we saw across the first five games, which is a big reason why in the three games against, you know, power five programs they played, they didn't score more than 28 points in any of those games. Yeah. I mean, when you sat back there and, and looked at the, the UCLA game and that was Jake Pete's first time calling plays, you know, went how it went and it was pretty ugly, but you thought, okay, they'll, they'll settle in. They'll find a way against Mississippi state to pick it up. That's not maybe as good of a defense, but we haven't seen it. And, and it's wild. And, um, you almost would think if you looked at the box score that they're a ground and pound team that runs the football, eats up clock and plays defensive football. And, you know, I didn't think this LSU Auburn game was going to be an offensive shootout from what we saw. I just didn't think Auburn would win. I mean, you know, they had, I said it, they had to show me that they could win in Tiger stadium and they took it to LSU in the second half and took that game right back. And, you know, when you look at how this is all spiraled out of control, it's, you know, it starts up front, like you you said, which is really concerning for me because this team doesn't have answers uh, on the roster, I don't think, to, to change this and to to move the line of scrimmage uh, as they get into the teeth of, this, of the SEC. Um, you know, Shay, this was a, a game that for LSU was going to be a loaded bunch of visitors kind of switching to recruiting because I do think, um, you know, at this point, the, the game is we've beaten it to death. Um, defensively, I think there were, there were some things they can clean up tackling. You know, those are things that guys would just say, look, we've just got to tackle better. We've got to get back to the fundamentals and go from there. But recruiting wise, this was supposed to be a showcase for LSU, double digit five stars on campus, um, guys flying in from across the country. What are the recruiting implications from this in your perspective from a loss like this? For me, I sit here and say there's a lot of early playing time uh, ready in, in the uh, offensive line. Uh, side of things especially and and elsewhere on the team but you know this is a game that LSU was looking to showcase the full capacity crowd of Tiger Stadium which it was and you know they just get left with the first loss since 1999 there you're muted sorry guys uh yeah no look we're not going to see any immediate decommits or anything like that we haven't seen that yet this season they haven't had any decommitments they haven't had any new commitments since the summer but They've sort of been holding steady at that number, you know, 15 total commits, number eight class. Uh, and we're sort of seeing there hasn't been some big wave of commits for any SEC team. So everyone's sort of just holding steady right now. I think that you look at people are going to say, what does all this mean for recruiting? Well, that's 
obviously a loaded question moving forward into a season like this one. But if you're asking me that and you mean, and not you, I'm saying fans or you're asking yourself, what's going on with recruiting? Well, what happens if they're losing and what does this do for recruiting? And you mean like if they're going to have a coaching change, well, then all bets would be off because there's no, we say it all the time, recruiting is fluid, recruiting is unpredictable, even more so if you're talking about replacing from top down with coaches. I mean, then it's impossible for anyone to sit here and tell you, oh, well, this guy, this guy, this guy are going to stick. This guy will probably flip you. That's for down the line discussion. I think right now, a lot of those guys and, and Billy, we saw it with kids um, on Twitter and, and sending us messages and tagging us in photos. You know, a lot of these younger kids and then a lot of these kids from Texas and came from out of state, Oklahoma, thought it was a great environment. It was a great game between two SEC teams that came down to the end and the fans were there packing it out, certainly in the first half. I think as it got later in the night, people started to sort of uh, leave the stadium, which is a bit surprising to me. But the environment was there for for much of the night. And I think that they enjoyed uh, just being able to to have that invite to LSU to go stand on the sidelines, to talk with Coach O, to be able to see that game as a prospect who's got an offer. So they're not in the the weeds with us, right? They're not the fans that are out there listening to this podcast and you're sitting on the message boards and you're listening to talk radio. They're not all into all that. I think they all see it as uh, those three letters on that helmet and the chest is a great opportunity for them. And that's the same when you're getting recruited by Georgia and Bama and LSU and Clemson. I mean, you're up there with the, the elite levels. They're going to continue to recruit well. Um, I, I, I will say this moving forward. And certainly if it means that if you're expecting the waters to get rougher, if you're expecting that maybe we could see a coaching change in the next year, if things don't tr- you know, turn back around in the right direction and, and for some reason LSU's decided to make a move on, on the admin side, that recruiting will be fine. LSU is a school that can recruit itself. It's got a storied program. They've won three national championships in 20 years. They've done it with three different head coaches, which proves that you can come here and build a program and get to the highest level. So, I'm not sweating. And as someone who we sit here and cover recruiting all the time, I'm not really sweating it because it sort of is what it is at this stage. If Edo and them play well and they keep their job, they're going to sign a good recruiting class. If they don't, we'll see where things go. But recruiting is never going to be an issue that you put up there at the top with LSU and say, man, they just can't recruit well anymore. That's just not going to be the case. Well, thanks for walk, walking a lot of the, the fans that maybe are listening to this podcast or, or are flipping flipping out about recruiting now uh, off the ledge there. Because I, I sit there and I look at this class built on Walker Howard, Will Campbell, uh, Emery Jones, your LaTerrence Welches. I mean, just a lot of these Louisiana guys and, and others um, that are going to remain solid, most likely. I mean, barring a, a coaching change and things really go south with, with a new hire and the relationships are not there at all. But you know, I, I just think with this class being built on Louisiana, it's going to be it's going to work itself out for the most part. Recruiting's fluid. Um, by the way, uh, sending uh, some thoughts. Walker Howard's way left his game Friday night with a left leg injury. Uh, we'll see the severity of it, um, you know, and, and see what that means for his senior season. But did want to pass that along. That was a, a rough play along the sideline for him. And um, hey, I know he was supposed he- to be up at Notre Dame this weekend as well. Yeah, and he still made the LSU game. He was hobbling around on crutches and in his boot, but uh, hanging out there with all his buddies and the commits. I know he was spotted by a number of people out on the sidelines. Uh, and LaTerrence Welsh as well. He had a knee injury uh, over in Acadiana. So a couple kids out of that area get banged up. Looks like we'll see where they go the rest of the way. I guess they're getting checked out by doctors to see if they can back out there as high school seniors or not. But 
uh, yeah, keep both those guys, uh, thoughts, prayers, whatever you've got. Um, hate to see it for seniors in high school who are trying to, who had to go through a COVID season as juniors and now uh, just trying to get the, these games in as seniors and uh, gets cut short. So part nature football, but sucks to hear. Speaking of thoughts and prayers, Shay, uh, you ended the Ed Ogeron press conference on Monday. No, all of us, all of us uh, shut it down early. Um, I'm, I'm kidding, of course, but, um, you know, for the most part, a no, quick press not. conference, a, a, a quick press conference for us on Monday with Ed Ogeron, a lot of him saying, it's on me, it's on me, it's on me. A lot of people are tired of hearing about it, but we heard it a lot on Monday. I mean, could we glean anything from from this on, on Monday? I couldn't get much out of okay. it. We'll, we'll start with this before we, because we promised some inside scoop. So if you were just listening to the press conference, it usually goes like 25 minutes. We're like nine minutes in and Coach O goes, no more questions and leaves. That's what, what it would look like if you were just listening to it or if you were watching the stream. Well, we're all viewing it on, on Zoom, right? And you get into the chat and you say, I've got a question. And then the moderator, when it's your turn, will unmute you. And then you ask your question and you move on. I'm sitting there minding my own business. I've got my video turned off because I was eating, unlike some members of the media uh, who will eat when their video is on just in front of everyone sitting there. We've got to watch you eat lunch. Not I. Very respectful. I've got my video turned off. I'm muted. And I'm taking notes to post to the board for after he gets done. And I'm kind of looking at Twitter and I'm listening to what he's saying. And my thing pops up. The host wants to unmute you. I'm not even dressed, basically. I have no no business asking any question because uh, then I would have turned on my, my video and then I'd have to think, did he already get asked that? And I didn't have So I was just eating, eating lunch, not dressed. OK, all right. We're, we're getting no, I was dressed. It, it just weirder. wasn't it uh, weirder. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was point being I just wasn't expecting to be on video right then. So I just go I open it. I open the chat for the first time. I said I clicked can stay muted. And I said, hey, look, I didn't ask for a question. I, I don't need one. And presumably they just move on. Well, I guess my name just stays on the thing because, oh, it's now just kind of radio silent out there. And he says, any questions? And then he says, Shay, kind of question mark. And then he said, any questions? And nothing ever happened. And he said, all right, guys, we'll have a good day. And it, like, he was very surprised that after nine minutes and a lost Auburn that there were no more questions when he usually goes like 2530. And then everyone got on Twitter and the boards and were like, oh, stormed off from his press conference. And we'll let Matty B step in with the ruling here. He was in there, too. He'll shoot it fair. <laughs> I'm not I'm not to blame for this. I literally got dragged. They dragged me it on the Zoom sphere. I didn't even ask any questions. I mean, you could have just asked a question without your camera on. You know, you could have just been just throwing yeah. something out there. I didn't have, first off, I didn't, I would say I didn't have a question to ask because I was just listening. He was already running through it. People were asking their questions. There was a log. Like if I did have a question, I would have to get in there. And then I'm like 20 people behind. I was just chilling. I thought about that briefly. I was like, I need to just bang out a question real quick to keep this thing going. But then I didn't think that it would just end after that. Yeah, I'll questions. give you that. I'll give you that. I didn't think it would have ended after that, but you know, other people and all the technical difficulties and stuff. So I'll give you a little bit of credit there. That, that's yeah, all. That's but, all. I'll give so, so O did not storm off after his press conference after nine minutes. He seemed in a fine mood. We can roll with and that. Then he, yeah, yeah, he was just yeah, he was just standing around. It was like, okay, I guess no more questions later. But then now it's like, is O like, Shay didn't ask me a question and no one had any questions. And now that's just how they feel about me. Now he's got that on his mind going through his Bounce day. Back See what I've day. done? 
Got to bounce back it's, Thursday. It's tell the truth Monday, and I am telling the truth. I did not <laughs> have a question for O at the time, and it just ended. But okay, Thank so you. he did the whole. How many, Matty B? Did you have a count there? I think that after every question or before, he answered it with like, "I take full responsibility." And someone asked him, like, why are you doing, like, why are you keep saying that? And he said, well, because a lot of times I've answered questions, honestly, it makes it seem like I'm throwing people under the bus. Yeah. So let me say, like, I get it. It starts with me. But that was like a, like six, seven times on maybe six or seven yeah. questions. It was, I mean, Saturday, it me. the thing is Saturday, he didn't say that at all. So I think people like took that the wrong way. And so after but, the loss, it was like, I guess I didn't like, even oh, notice that because I didn't notice said, it either, but he had been saying it. Ad nauseum all year. It was always, it starts with me. It starts like people were mad that he was saying it starts with me too much. Like that Ed, he wasn't Ed Daniels, saying Ed Daniels might be one of the best question askers on the entire beat. Delivery, clarity, just, just gets after it. Excellent, excellent work. Ed Daniels on that question why Ed Ogeron asks or says. And given their history, Eddie and Orgeron said, Ed, you know me. I'm being honest right now. It does fall on me. So, yeah, Ed Daniels get the juice out of him. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Um, Matty B. What about, Rabble, what about Rabble asking if he was going to try to bring Insmere up to the booth to help out Pete's? Ooh. Ooh. I didn't see that one coming. These I are all the questions that. I got asked, but like half the press conference didn't get asked because of you. So, yeah, there was literally <laughs> like 20. There, I wish Instead people would get these Insmere questions. Yeah, I, was, I wish I was publicly. Saying- Georgia Munoz, that would be the that would be the. Well, Munoz is already down there too, so I don't. Yeah, know. just you know, yeah. We're oh now we're speculating Look on OC options here. We're we're burying Shit. we're burying Jake Peets before official announcement. Sorry, if Jake. you're not watching on YouTube, Maddie B is running tags on everything we're talking about, and this segment is called "Shea Screwed Up." That's not true. There you go. Uh, last question, I, I want to ask y'all, and I'm going to dip out and let y'all finish this up. How much? Because I okay, Jake Peets has obviously gotten a lot of the blame, right? Obviously, I it's like, all right, he can't, you know, not getting calls in the offense isn't in rhythm and all that stuff. How much better would he look if the offensive line could just run block, like pass block the same, like all right, everything else the same? If the offensive line could just run block at an SEC average level, like how much different would we be perceiving Jake Peets at this moment? Uh, well, I'll say this. What? I'll, I'll say this: It's gonna. It would be a lot better because they'd have a, a just a serviceable run game. But when you played against Auburn, you didn't even bother running the ball. So, how much would the game plan change? Would this would that open things up for Keishawn Butte a little bit more? I mean, how can you get these other receivers involved? Not named Jack Bash. What does it all look like on that? I don't. I don't. I don't know. I mean, they. If they got a serviceable run game, I mean, you would think that it would be a little bit better. You would think they would have won. They would have beat Auburn. They would have been able to run out the clock. Yeah, well, I was about to say, would they be five and zero? They'd be four and one. Maybe they would have lost to UCLA, but yeah, their yeah, record would I, be better. I, I of course, they, I I think we would be viewing Jake Peets in a totally different light, and I think people would be viewing Max in a totally different light yeah. if they could actually run the football. So, but that's kind of like a double sided question, right, Matt? That like. If they had like a serviceable run blocking game, would they still be running it right into the middle? You know, would they would they find creative ways to run the football even then? I, I'm not sure, but would you know, meaning find the production. But I would have to think that if this team was four and one and certainly five and zero, oh, and the result had been that like the O line actually was doing pretty well at 
at run blocking. I think that Max does enough of a good enough job to mask some deficiencies there. He can get it out, whether he's trying to get it out quick or whether Jake Peets is calling, you know, for the quick slants or uh, throws, you know, short throws that are extensions of the run game, whatever it is. I think we would view the offense completely different and then in turn view Jake Peets differently because you would say, oh, this has got some balance to it, but it's more pass heavy, which is where college football's at. Uh, so I'm all for it. But instead, we're sitting here like, oh, like they can't call in. But OK, but I'll also say if they could run the football well and they were still getting burning every time out they had to let the play clock not <laughs> expire, the then it'd be different. That's so, the thing. Yeah, that I part like, of it, I don't know. I feel like they would at least there would at least be a lot less indecision or at least less uncertainty at moments at moments throughout it. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the timeouts there, thing is, is just baffling to me. It's just baffling. I mean, how can you even be trying to go fast? There, and it's just unbelievable. Well, there was another time is in the second quarter where I looked me and Matt were sitting next to each other in press box. I was like, dude, they're about to burn another timeout and well, it hit off. zero. And well, they did do it then, but it hit zero. And then I guess by the time that the ref maybe saw it hit zero, looked down, they were already snapping it, but it was, it was at zero. Max is about to snap it. So like, not only are they calling the timeouts, there's other times where they're like right there with it. So the timeout out of the kickoff <laughs> is just on un, unreal. It's, and I think it's probably one of the worst plays in football. Yeah, and I'm and pretty best, sure Les Miles had done that once too. Like had probably called, multiple times in a row too, at least once. Or maybe he was trying to review something like after I don't know, but yeah, calling a timeout after a change of possession in the in the era of the red hats like the ref is out there for like three hours before you come back from commercials mm -hmm. and you trot out there and then you don't get the playoff so as o's answer to that was i guess what i said earlier quit doing check with me or if you're if that's just how you want to do it make it per you know figure it out because right now O's summed it up and max said this too i think we're too focused on the perfect play for this defense when we need to just be picking a play and sticking with it and run it run the play. And the best part is the crowd realizing it like with five <laughs> seconds. Left, yeah. Like five seconds left. They're like, these guys aren't even close to like snapping the ball. And they're just, everyone just starts yelling. It's like, Oh, uh, hello. Hello. And then they have to call timeout. Uh, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of offensive coordinators in tiger stadium. We'll see uh, if Jake Pete's is still the one by the end of the season. Just kidding. Um, but anyway, but not uh, kidding about a lot of OCs in Tiger Stadium, a lot of uh, them. yes, a lot of, lot of OCs in Tiger Stadium. That, that there's no doubt about that. But uh, enough about that. Enough from us on this game. What, a, what a little fun run. We hope you guys enjoyed this uh, podcast uh, reviewing what was uh, an absolutely backbreaker of a loss. Red Ogeron and Co. But um, Shay, Maddie B, Wait. anything else? Is it time? Yeah, to go? let's do. Let's yeah, about about time to go. Let's give a short. Yes or no, does LSU have a shot this weekend at number 15 undefeated Kentucky who just beat Florida? I say in all the wackiness of this year that they do. I'm looking around the SEC West beyond Bama, and every week someone surprises me with a win or just getting, you know, pantsed out there by somebody. So I uh, I say yes, and uh, and on top of that I'll add that I am pumped for an 11 a.m. Florida kickoff <laughs> breakfast in Tiger Stadium versus the Gators. I never thought I'd see the day. Um, I, I would say, yeah, I mean, they have a shot. Yes, it's been a crazy, crazy season. If you think this is the Florida road game from, what was it, 2017 after they lost to Troy, 
I don't know if it's going to be the case, but maybe they squeak one out in in Lexington. I mean, that's it's a team playing some pretty good defense right now. I I almost removed myself whenever you asked the question, so I didn't have to answer it. But uh, I'll, yeah, they have a shot just because nobody in the SEC yeah. outside of Bama and Georgia, you know, is unbeatable at this point by any means. So yeah, they they definitely have a shot. The line's You're moving here. down, so. Maddie B has picked the Tigers over the Wildcats. That's your lock of the week. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll leave it at that before he has a chance to respond. So, uh, Maddie B, get out of here. Get out of here. Um, uh, all right. We're going we're gonna to shut down this edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Maddie B will be back uh, for our preview podcast later this week to defend why he's picking LSU to upset Kentucky. He'll change his mind board. by then. Yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll read the board enough. Uh, but for Shay Dixon, Maddie B., I'm Billy Embi. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Feel free to leave us a rating, leave us a review, and follow us wherever you check out your podcast. And also, subscribe to the YouTube page. It's rolling right now. Uh, be sure to check out all the videos we have on that. Till next time, for Shay Dixon, I'm Billy Embi. We'll catch you next time on the Go 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.